Arturo Merán. Arturo Estamos aquí de Saicedo. Welcome, you are listening the Spoken Tour. Bienvenidos, están escuchando the Spoken Tour. So it is Wednesday, Wednesday, October 4th, 2017, and it is our final day in Mexico. Final full day in Mexico. We have been here for just a couple days, over three months, and I don't think three months ago when we entered Tecate in Northern Baja that there would be any part of us that would still be here after three months. No, I think three months was absolutely out of the question when we were first crossing the border. But it's probably taken us the better part of that three months to fully understand or fully appreciate uh, the diversity here in Mexico, both geographically and culturally. And I think the last few weeks in the states of Oaxaca and Chiapas have been like the capstone of that realization because they've just been so incredible and so diverse. And it was on one of those days in Oaxaca that we had an experience that we both agree is worthy of a revisitation of one of the first spoken tour segments, which is No Bad Days, but this one totally sucked. Yeah, it was definitely worthy of that. We were leaving um, the town of Selena Cruz in um, Oaxaca. And we had ridden about six hours to get to this town just a horrible day <laughs> like humid as hell sweating all of our body fluids out for six hours trying to replenish them and just feeling totally beat by the end of it and we had a day of only 40 kilometers following so that was supposed <laughs> to be our rest day like, oh yeah great short day you know what it looks like there's a cool little back way into the town of Puchitan. let's take the back way um and it'll spice up our short day And we start riding, and it's just this beautiful road surrounded by mountains, um, farmland. We go through all these beautiful little little pueblos, and then all of a sudden, we take a couple turns, and we see that the road that we're supposed to be on, the little dirt road, is completely washed out, like full of the brim with water. No ifs, ands, or buts about getting through this. Um, we turned around and decided to try and find another route. And when we turned around, the new road that we were on, we kind of started playing like a puddle, puddle version, jumper. Yeah, puddle, puddle jumper. And, you know, we're, we're, we're skirting along the sides of the road to try and avoid these massive puddles. And then every once in a while, there'd be one that would take up the entire road and we'd go through. And, you know, it was fun. We're laughing. And then uh, we get to a couple parts where there's we have to ride through some streams, which is pretty fun. And... Uh, then it gets to a point where it's section after section of riding through water. And we're riding through water and, you know, we're not... Feet and pedals completely yeah, submerged. Yeah, we're not really laughing anymore and... Uh, Can't see through the water, don't know if there's a giant rock right yeah. in front of your tire. And then it gets to the point where we haven't been riding on dry road in probably 15, 20 minutes, and uh, the water went from just a couple inches deep to about six inches deep, uh, where 
our cassette, our pedals, everything was completely underwater. And so Ty had the wonderful logical idea of getting off our bikes and he's like, dude, we, we can't pretend like we're going to ride through this. We need to take our bags off, hike them through this water and then come back for our bikes and hike our bikes through. And so at this point there, the, there is no road. It's just uh, an overflown river for as far as the eye can see. We don't see any anything in front of us but water. So we take our bags off and we start hiking through this water with, you know, our 50-pound panniers. And it's, I'd say average water was about knee height, but at its highest it was like just below nut level. Mm-hmm. And like Ty mentioned, it was, for me, in, in my life, this it was I would say living one of my greatest fears ever of hiking through water that is the murkiest water I've ever been in in an environment that is filled with snakes and to to just make silver lining on this the we were along the coast and the area of the coast that we were on uh, has huge populations of crocodiles. And to make it even better, the, the, the three or four days leading up to this event, we had been seeing more snakes, like large, juicy pythons, five, six-foot pythons, than we've seen anywhere else in this entire trip. So we're not saying anything to each other, but as we're hiking a half mile through this murky water, in my mind, I was just so... It was like I was coming to terms with my imminent death of getting bitten by a snake and then I was not even bitten just dragged <laughs> under just immediately like your entire lower body is wrapped and constricted and you just collapse into the water and there's no even sign of your body left behind <laughs> that's what I was imagining <laughs> so finally we hike our bags across we get to dry land and it, it was legit it was, it was a straight up half mile we drop our bags off, we hike back through the murky water, grab our bicycles, and so we put our bicycles on our backs. I had mine on my back and tie, it was as if he was holding it like it was a bagpipe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we make our way the half mile back to where our bags are, finally through the dry water, and we're both kind of standing dry there. Land. Dry land, not dry water. Um... And we're soaking wet, absolutely soaking wet. And Ty looks at me. He's like, "Dude, were you, uh, were you, were you thinking about you know s- snakes at all?" I'm like, "Oh my god, yes, dude! I thought I was gonna get eaten alive in the crocodiles." And ah. so uh, that was truly living, living through and overcoming one of my deepest, darkest fears in life, um, which I would say is an accomplishment. Absolutely, an accomplishment. In fact, after uh, after completing that stretch, I was feeling really good. Like, man, we just you know showed up to this horrible flood road with no idea what we were getting ourselves into. We rose to the occasion, and we just conquered it. We beat the snakes. We waded <laughs> through all the bullshit and cow piss and murky, disgusting water, and then we started rolling again, and everything felt great. Yeah, we were spirits were high. Um just yeah like having just being on dry land was so fun again and um then kind of very unexpectedly we came uh the town we were staying in that night is, was Huchitan 
and on the outskirts of this little town was a small village, and uh, little did we know that it is one of Huchitan and the surrounding villages were some of the hardest hits, er, hardest hit areas uh, from the recent earthquakes here in Mexico, and it was, I mean, I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. No. Uh, I mean, it was, tr- it was truly, it was a disaster zone, like, yeah. you know, of, of, of really a real-life disaster yeah. zone. Buildings, businesses, homes, all raised to the ground. Uh, just piles of rubble lining the streets. People living out of makeshift camps in vacant lots. Uh, government trucks driving up and down the street, distributing what little um, aid supplies they got their hands on. And it was a very quick reminder that uh, what we're doing even though it seems like a, uh, a big accomplishment to us, can sometimes pale in the comparison to the daily lives of other people in this world. Yeah, and it was, for me, one of the, one of the, I don't know, it wasn't like uncomfortable, to, it was just this, this weird feeling of, we have such basic needs on this trip. I mean, we get, we get to a place, and then we need to find shelter, we need to find water, and we need to find food. And when we got to this town, we were planning on staying in just this little little hotel that we found. The hotel was full um, with just folks who needed a place to stay from that town. And we went to three or four other hotels in town, all full. And um, we finally got a room where we were able to stay, but it was just this odd feeling of being, like seeing all of this devastation, like absolute pure devastation, and still having us having these basic needs of okay well we need water we need food we need a place to stay tonight but then you see these thousands of people around you who are also just looking for those very basic things Mm -hmm. and um i mean i don't know it wasn't like a feeling of guilt it was just a it was just a very uh, just a very surreal feeling of uh being in an area that had been been so purely devastated um but uh i mean it was good to see how much how much help and aid there was um it looked as if a lot of people even if their businesses weren't impacted uh they had closed their businesses to just help i mean the streets were filled with folks cleaning up um you know sites the folks who had uh, opened up their homes and their yards for tents and folks to lay down a mat to sleep so um, seeing that was was very cool. Just the the inherent goodness in people to to want to help out others, but yeah, definitely a kind of a unexpectedly bit of a roller coaster day. Yeah, personal yeah. highs to very humbling and sobering lows. Yeah, but on a lighter note, we received a pretty great email from a couple of our listeners uh, asking to kind of talk about some of our gear. Um, And we realized that we haven't been kind of filling folks in on what we're using, what's getting us through. I think it took us this long to really understand completely what we're using and how to use it properly. So maybe it's good that we waited till now to talk about it. Yeah, and it's going to be constantly changing. I think the biggest thing we found out is just accepting that really any piece of equipment uh, on our bikes or personal clothing, gear, whatever, it's 
by no means set in stone. Like, things break, fluctuate, change in the goofiest of ways. But, yeah, we wanted to kind of start making this a bit of a regular segment. And so we thought that we'd start with just kind of a general overview of our rigs. Uh, our bikes, our brands, tires, you know, um, some of the high-level stuff. And then as we find out what folks are more interested in um, and what parts of our gear we haven't covered, we'll dig into those as well. Um, you want to start with your bike? Absolutely. I have been riding a 2017 Trek 920. It is uh, an aluminum frame bike with a 20-speed uh, drivetrain, 10-speed uh, cassette, two chain rigs up front. I've been riding 29-inch um, pretty standard mountain bike wheels with tires that measure 29 by 2-inch width. And I've got front and rear racks. I've got hydraulic disc brakes. I've got an assortment of frame bags that I'm using. And let's see, drop handlebars, and yeah, that's that's about the nuts and bolts of what I've been riding for the last five months. Yeah, and my bike is a Y Cycles R Plus. It's a titanium frame. It is set up as a one by eleven. So for all you lay people out there, that means I have just gears in the back. And I have one gear up front. Um, so the nice part about that is I only have one derailleur to worry about. Um, it's set up as an 11 to 46. So my cassette, my lar my uh, my lowest gear in my cassette is the size of a small dinner plate. Um, I also have hydraulic disc brakes, SRAM Force Ones. Um, they are very rad. Um, I have gone through an assortment of tires on this trip, but right now I'm rocking a pretty bulletproof setup with uh, their 700C rims um, with, I have 29 by 2 Marathon Mondial tires on there. I do not have them set up tubeless. I have them set up traditional with tubes. Um, I, am on, I only have rear panniers. With that, I have a full frame bag. Um, my rear panniers are Ortlieb, my um, frame bag, uh, my full frame bag was custom designed by um, Revelate Designs based out of Aspen. And, I mean, sorry, uh, uh, not uh, Revelate, Defiant. Defiant made my frame bag based out of Aspen and Revelate made my sweet roll um, up front, which is where I keep my tent. And I have a little pouch up front. Um, I'm pretty proud of my cockpit, I call it, my, my handlebars. It's kind of the control center on the bicycle, water bottles, snacks, watch, uh, little knickknacks, phones, my camera, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, just wanted to give folks kind of a general overview of the bikes. And yeah, we'll start digging into some of the more nitty gritty details uh, as, we, as we keep chugging along. Chug a chug, chug, chug. Here we go, <laughs> moving right along. We got some really fun questions that some listeners sent to us. And the first couple were from uh, from Grace, a friend from University of Denver, and it got us laughing pretty well. Uh, her question was, "What has made us laugh the hardest on this trip?" And a lot of our laughter has stemmed from um, a lot of would you rather's, um, one involving Paul McCartney and Dumbledore, another instance um, involving a sugar packet with some animals. Um, designed onto it um, but yeah definitely some of the laughter is from 
just those maniacal moments of exhaustion where only in your mind at that point in the universe is something funny enough to make <laughs> tears stream down your face. Um, so that's always just a really funny part of the trip. Um, and then another really great qu- great question Grace had was, do we ever get bored? The quick answer is no. Um, there are for sure moments where our exhaustion reaches such deep levels that we find ourselves doing nothing like just staring at the ground or our bikes or whatever um, that may appear to an outsider as boredom but really (laughs) it's just these insane levels of exhaustion that cause us to just kind of mentally shut down more or less but it's a fine line yeah yeah but no, I mean, there's there haven't been any moments where we've just looked at each other and been like, oh, this is so boring. Because um, there's always something to stimulate you, um, whether that's a smell, a taste, yeah. um, uh, somewhere to walk to, someone to talk to, trying to speak Spanish, the book you're reading, whatever. Um, there's always something to stimulate us, which uh, is, I don't know, it, it's really nice to not to not feel like you're wasting your time or feel like you are bored. Yeah, and then in a way it kind of makes those moments of mental fatigue like almost enjoyable. Yeah, like you deserve it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, thank you, Grace, for sending those questions in. Um, they were really fun to think about. Another great question we got was from John, a fellow Brophy Bronco, uh, I believe class of 2012. Not quite as honorable as the men of 10, but that's all right. We're not going to hold it against him. John asked us, what do we talk about? in our daily conversations and uh, we had to think about that one a little bit just because there's like so there's so much constant interaction between Tom and myself and so it took us a little bit to like categorize and analyze what our daily interactions really focus on and what we ultimately decided on was that we spend the majority of our time just shooting the shit like we would (laughs) if we were hanging out you know in a more stable routine if we were back home or you know whatever um sure we spend uh a good chunk of time talking about logistics where we're going where we're sleeping when and what we're going to eat things like that um but we never really allow ourselves to step back and analyze the big picture so much because it's so big and it's intimidating and focusing on it just really takes away from the present moment and that's why we're doing this trip is to appreciate as much as we can uh, each and every day and each and every second of the places that we're going through and yeah that usually looks like us just hanging out throwing around inside jokes and spanglish that nobody else understands um and that's been it's been the most enjoyable form of interaction between the two of us so far a lot of talk about um we refer to pooping as releasing um hey dude do you release today because your farts are smelling pretty bad um no i haven't released yet are you feeling all right no, oh, yeah, it's I got a release coming. Don't worry about me, man. And urinating has become ripping. Yeah. <laughs> which can just be hollered out at any second of any day. Rip, 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 dude. I'm ripping. I got a rip. I got a rip. Which is also back to Grace's question kind of turned into an inside joke which has led to a, a, 
a rippers rippers rights movement here in Mexico that we're that we're leading. So yeah, just a lot of a lot of meaningless conversations, you might say. So if anybody was worried about us becoming like too cultured or too knowledgeable during our travels, don't worry. That's <laughs> there's no possibility or threat of that happening. So that's good. Yeah. But speaking of cultured, um I'm gonna miss Mexican culture. I'm gonna miss freaking Mexico because this place has been so beyond good to us in the three months that we that we've spent here. Three months. I don't think either of us ever imagined that we would spend <laughs> three months here. And now looking back on it, like we're both we were just talking about how there are parts that we didn't get to go to that we wish we could. How many do you think we've done almost three thousand miles here? We did. I think th- maybe closer to uh, twenty five hundred because we were yeah. about like twenty five hundred in yeah. San Diego and we're almost to five thousand yeah. now. Um, but yeah, it's just like every every town we would get to in Mexico, it seemed as if the country had just grown a little bit. It had gotten a little bit bigger, and we had a little bit further to go, and we became more and more okay with that every time that we got to a place because every time we got to somewhere we would meet someone who would recommend a new place to go so we'd change our route to go there and it is it makes me super happy of the way that we planned our trip here yeah yeah and then looking back on it like taking the retrospective approach i think it also has become so much bigger in in hindsight because the memories are so vivid, and I think that's due to traveling by bike, because you're moving slowly and you're soaking in every detail. Um, but it's the memories are so vivid from day one in Tecate, northern Baja, to where we are now. You can almost stitch together a, a constant, like, fluid, moving image of what the country has meant for us. And I think both of us feel more connected to Mexico than we have to any other foreign country that we've ever visited. Um, which isn't to say that it has been a breeze the entire time, and it's had its challenges. And, um, yeah, I don't know, what would you think the biggest challenge has been? I think the biggest challenge that we've faced has been a lot of... a type of ref- self-reflection that we haven't had to deal with in our lives. Um largely around the fact that as citizens of the United States of America the way we've been treating Mexico as our next door neighbor and the subculture of hate that has developed um, around hate or fear yeah fear that, uh, yeah. that has um, developed specifically towards the country of Mexico and its people um, and I think the most challenging thing that kind of has come to light is so much of that fear and hate and whatever you want to call it animosity towards Mexico is due to the narcos you know the drug cartels which what people don't realize and aren't and the and the United States of America isn't honest with themselves about is the Opiate addiction and crisis that's occurring in the United States of America is the exact reason for the Mexican drug cartels to even exist. Because they, dro- they, they grow poppies 
which then creates heroin and is then shipped to the U.S. illegally. And um, the U.S. then points its fingers at Mexico for causing all these problems and these violent, this violence and these deaths um, when really it's the United States of America that needs to take a, a long, hard look in the mirror and realize that our country has a problem um, where we have an addiction. Uh, and um, it's just sad to see so much animosity mm-hmm. towards our next door neighbor Mexico to the to the degree that our our president wants to try and erect a wall and literally block this country um, which uh, yeah just don't don't buy into it I guess is what is what we're trying to say don't listen to the orange man the Oompa Loompa because um, there's so much good in this country yeah or take a you know another step besides ignoring the the bad reputation and you know book a flight or a bus and go visit it for yourself and hell yeah experience the magic yeah now we sound like mexican travel agents <laughs> yeah. but it really has been a magical place yeah without a doubt without a doubt i am freaking stoked to give one last kindness to strangers to mexico because i wish we could give more yeah so here it is one final kindness to strangers from mexico we last left off in the town of Mazunte, where we went to this amazing little surf village called Barra de la Cruz, and we showed up not knowing anything about it. We, as soon as we dismounted our bikes, uh, this Brazilian guy, Mar- Marcelo, came up to us and just started pointing out all the amazing things that this town had to offer. And he asked what our plan was. We said that we were just going to camp and head out the next day, and he was like, man, you guys are crazy. Just hang out, enjoy, go surfing, like, just just relax and we looked at each other and we're like damn like he's right let's let's just hang out here let's see what this place has to offer and it was absolutely the right call so Marcelo and to pretty much everybody at Cabanas Pepe in Barra de la Cruz thanks for uh, giving us a little reality check and uh, a break check yeah um, to Bastian there who was just it was cool hanging out with uh, a lot of people who are just traveling on long extended traveling surf trips because they they understood where we were coming from on this trip but still were really genuinely interested and wanted to know all about it um so it was just kind of a good change of pace of being surrounded by people who understood the 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 fact of wanting to be on a long trip but just the medium that we were doing it they were interested in um and bastian was a, a really cool dude who just was hanging out with us and asking us questions playing cards and then uh, Wally, who, who we've deemed as Wally and the Babes, um, thanks for making us feel welcome and um, letting us hang out with you. And um, yeah, it was it was fun getting to know getting to know you and your crew. From there, we had uh, a couple of days to the town of Huchitan that we mentioned before that had suffered the the worst devastation of the seismic activity that we had seen so far. And while we were kind of slowly making our way through the town, observing all of the tragic destruction that had taken place there, how it had affected all these people's lives, um, trying to find a hotel room with uh, no luck because of all the people that had been displaced until we got to one where a woman um, said that everything was full and she was explaining the situation and we understood and you know said, okay, we'll try somewhere else. And she saw maybe a similar look of desperation in us that she had seen in her own uh, fellow townsfolk 
and she decided to help us out and double check and see if there was a room available and sure enough there was and she gave it to us which uh, may not sound like a huge gesture but given the circumstances and uh, given what the town had just been through uh, it really meant a lot to us so to the staff at the Hotel Santo Domingo in Huchitan thank you guys very much and from there we cruised um, to a small little town, uh, what was the name of it, San, was it, was that, Santo, Santo Domingo? Domingo yeah. And, uh, we were shacked up by Rodrigo and his family, um, right when we got there, his wife made us a delicious, delicious plate of, um, plantains and chilaquiles, and, um, I mean, from the moment we got there, Rodrigo was just making sure that we were as comfortable as possible, it was a rainy, wet day, he gave us a dry place to sleep, and uh, his kids were absolutely adorable, dancing, playing around. It was just, it was a killer, killer, killer night with one of the most welcoming uh, folks that we've we've met so far on the trip. And not only was he hosting us that night, but he was hosting another tourist coming from south, going north, whose name was Mark. Cycle tourist. Cycle tourist, right. Um, Mark was coming from Patagonia on his way to the U.S., and uh, it was a great breath of fresh air to talk about his experiences, listen to uh, all the things that he had to say about the places that he had come from. And more so than that, it was just a reminder that <laughs> this thing that we're doing is possible. And, uh, and he was living proof of that. So, Mark, thank you very much for your motivation and best of luck uh, heading north to the States. Mm -hmm. And then we got to the town of Tuxla and... We had an awesome host, Roberto, um, super flexible. He uh, let us crash um, in his inside his house, which had air conditioning, and that was awesome. Um, so thank you so much for your flexibility and uh, opening up your doors to us, Roberto. And then um, Roberto's neighbors also uh, welcomed us by sicking their gigantic dogs <laughs> on us, not only on us, but on our bikes. And uh, when we were gearing up to go that morning, we came out to panniers freshly urinated on <laughs> by these dogs, donuts that were left out freshly eaten again by these dogs. So um, to the dogs, you cute little perritos, chiquichitos, oh, muchas gracias ustedes, porque <laughs> you guys have reminded us to keep our wits about us when we're dealing with animals. And don't ever leave my donuts out. Um, and uh, then, of course, the crew at Wow Bikes in Tuxla. Um, Ty and I had some last-minute things, parts that we wanted to get taken care of on our bikes before crossing into Central America. And we spent close to six hours at this bike shop. We literally walked in with a list of things and parts we needed. And um, not only were these dudes incredibly helpful, they were stoked, they were happy, they were optimistic. They are giving us tips, telling us what road to take. Uh, and so we left that day, we took a picture with these guys, we were totally stoked, our bikes were feeling great, and um, we were pretty intimidated because the next day we had a 40 mile ride with 10,000 vertical feet of climbing, um, which is, uh, in our books, that, that's like a mon that's about as monster as the days get. Mm -hmm. um, and we started, we, st we woke up the next morning, we started riding up this old windy highway, and we were probably about five hours into the ride. Um, it was raining. We had just pulled off to eat some snacks. And all of a sudden, we see another cyclist approach, which is 
kind of baffling because uh, we hadn't seen any cyclists on this road crazy enough, crazy as us. And sure enough, we see it's one of the dudes from the bike shop. And followed by him are three of his homies that he'd called to come and make this ride and try and catch up to us and ride with us. Um, and so we rode the last 20 kilometers into town with them, shared lunch. And it was just so awesome to have a group to ride with. Because every the last time we had someone to ride with us was Ty's dad riding into San Diego, um, which was awesome. Because even with just one other person, we were able to feel, feed off of someone's energy. But yeah. um, the fact that these guys, it's it's not like they, they were riding, you know, five miles down the road to meet us. They were riding... Up a mountain. Oh, yeah, literally thousands of vertical feet up a mountain to, to catch us. And... Um, just the energy and the stoke that that brought um, to that day is, without a doubt, a day that we will absolutely never forget. Um, mobbing down this mountain, or mobbing up and then down this mountain with with the crew from Wild Bike. So thank you guys so much for just bringing that extra energy and uh, just being a group of badass dudes who decide to to drop everything you're doing. They they were laughing about how they called into work. Um, and we're telling their bosses that they were they weren't gonna come in today, and uh, yeah, it was just awesome. It's a super cool group of dudes. So thanks so much for the work on the bikes and um, just the huge uh, stoke boost that day. Once we climbed the mountain and got to San Cristobal, we crashed with Pierre and Valeria, who are gearing up for their own trip down south. Um, so you guys, thank you so much for giving us a place to sleep for those few nights. And we will happily be your guinea pigs from here on out, giving you beta on the route as we go south. And that same evening we arrived after the 40-mile, 10,000-foot climb, um, Pierre and Valeria brought us out for some craft beers, which we have not drank in quite a while. So after a cup or two of a mighty strong IPA, uh, we were convinced the bartenderess was in love with both of us. And uh, we were pretty unabashedly just staring at her uh, <laughs> from across the bar as we were like in this lucid state of exhaustion with a pretty solid buzz and uh, being incredibly antisocial, mixing all these things together, <laughs> led us to believe that she uh, loved us. So thank you, bartenderess, for letting us fall in love with you for 45 minutes. Um, you are beautiful. And then Juan Carlos, uh, here in Comitán, you have been an amazing host and tour guide and uh, just putting us up for the night. Um, not only that, but just having a, a great conversation about, um, you know, the life of a 20-something here in Mexico versus similarities of the lives of, you know, us back in the States. Uh, it, it just added a, another... Uh, layer of depth to our interaction and it was one of the most memorable for me of the trip so far and uh, I will definitely be keeping you in my thoughts and just want to give you a huge thank you. And we would not even have met Juan Carlos if it were not for Pat and Susie Medici, the aunt and uncle of my girlfriend Kate who were just recently traveling in southern Mexico and introduced us to Juan Carlos. So Pat and Susie, thank you guys so so much. And a huge shout out to Rachel and Grace for both making a little spoke nation. Um, your bucks will take us a long way through Guatemala. So thank you so, so much for for making a little donation on the website, spokentour.com slash support. 
<clears throat> anyway, um, we have one final listener call out. Um, Ty and I have been doing uh, a lot of reflecting on what has been motivating us through this trip. And um, we want to talk about it in an episode, but we also would love to hear from listeners about what is motivating you right now, um, whether that's at work, whether that's in a relationship, whether that's um, climb, you know, becoming a 512 climber or learning how to ski double blacks or whatever it is. Um, what's motivating you in your life right now? Um, so send us a little clip. The best way to do it is just on your phone. Use the voice recording tool um, and send it to us at thespokentour at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear from, from y'all about uh, sources of motivation for you. Um, but that about wraps it up from here in Mexico. Um, next time you hear from us, we will be somewhere likely in Guatemala or El Salvador or Honduras or Nicaragua, probably. Any of those places. Yeah, anywhere. We'll be somewhere in Central America. But uh, that is about it. Um, from here in the recording studio in our hotel room, which we have rigged up a sheet tied to the wall. Um, and are now dripping sweat. Yeah, as we sit here in our short shorts, shirtless, um, smelling very weird. So... I hope you enjoyed the episode, and uh, send us any questions you got, folks. Hasta la vista. Viva Mexico.